0: Welcome back to The Metal Exchange. This is Chris. I'm here with Justin, and we have a very special guest. We've been having lots of uh, great interviews lately, and uh, from Australia, uh, the great Andy Dowling of Lord is here to talk to us about their Set in Stone album released in 2009. Andy, welcome to The Metal Exchange.
1: Guys, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great, to, great to reconnect and to talk about what is now becoming a really old album.
0: <laughs> not, 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 not too old hopefully we, no, we no. don't want to we don't want to talk about 2009 like it was too long ago but uh we're all getting um, old yeah i i, I just don't want to admit it um anyway <laughs> so earlier today um justin and i spoke for almost uh probably about 45 minutes and just kind of went uh track for track and talked about um the album uh it was requested by somebody that um, is a fan of the show rob has uh, it rob hamilton is that That's right, right. Yeah, yeah rob hamilton requested it he uh specifically
2: wanted this album because he said that it kind of uh he was an old dungeon fan from back in the day and that he figured that this was kind of like the culmination of all the old dungeon stuff but just like to the next level and this has always been his favorite album so he wanted us to cover it and we we thought there was no better uh no better no better choice than that so um we were, we were happy to do it and, and and obviously happy to have you join us
1: thanks thanks to Rob what a legend uh, that name that name's been fluttering for many many years so thank you Rob and uh, thanks guys for being open-minded to to give us a little old Australian band
0: a shot oh absolutely I mean we both um, were very familiar with Lord going into it but I, I would admit that I don't know that like I started listening to to Lord around the time that the um, What Tomorrow Brings EP came out. And I think it was probably around the time that uh, you guys were announced to play at Prague Power. So I think I was getting myself prepped for your, your guys' performance. And since then, you know, I bought, I've bought, I went back, I bought the whole back catalog, and then I've bought everything since then. But in all honesty, like, I've listened to the newer stuff a lot, but the... The catalog is so huge when you add in the dungeon stuff, and the fact that the dungeon stuff was re recorded with the current lineup, it, it just got so overwhelming that I don't think I ever actually just sat down and really digested any one album. So, this was really my first time taking an older Lord album and really, really listening to it and, and really digesting it. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. We both did. We both gave it a very, uh, high, high rating, even though you told us we were allowed to rag on it if, <laughs> if need be, but I wasn't too concerned that that was going to be an issue. But, uh, I, I guess the first thing I'm going to ask you, and you, you don't have to go too deep in the weeds on this, but just as a little bit of an intro, um, you joined the band in 2005, I believe. Um, how, what was the, uh, scenario as far as, uh, joining Lord?
1: Yeah, I'll give you the, um, the shortened version, or I'll attempt to do the shortened version. So, yeah, uh, at the end of 2005, I joined the band, and at that stage, um, the band was about to go through its, tran- uh, its transition from Dungeon to Lord. Um, by that stage, the band, as Dungeon had been around since 1989, and, um, and had done really well, uh, especially in Australia, and um, had been released through Europe, um, and had a, a really good career in Japan as well. Um, by the end of 2005, I think there was just a bit of a revolving door of musicians. Um, some people wanted to leave around that time, and Tim, who's been, you know, he's our front guy. He's been, um, he's he's the man who started the whole thing back in 1989, and um, I think he wanted a, a bit of a, a fresh start or a fresh chapter where he could change the name and uh, and open at least the perception of what he could do with the band. Because I think Dungeon up until that point had always been seen primarily as a power metal band, especially due to the way it'd been the band had been released in europe um through Lim um was was the label over there and Lim's known for you know very very power metal bands and so uh the band was lumped in with a lot of that so i think it sort of restricted tim with what he wanted to do and so uh the concept of lord was to sort of use everything that we'd gained with dungeon but then expand on it so for me um it was a bit of a weird situation. I, um, I'd i been a fan of the band for many years. Um, I was friends with the guys, and we just so happened that we both wanted to go to Europe at the same time, uh, mid-2005. The guys got really lucky and got a, an opportunity to tour with Megadeth in, in, in Europe. And I was going over anyway, and I said, hey, do you want me to carry your guitars or your beers or something like that? Can I be a roadie? And they're like, yeah, okay, all right. So, they, so I twisted their arm. And I ended up doing the lights for Dungeon on that tour, and towards the end of that tour, um, there was uh, some fraying in the band, some personalities, and people were sort of thinking about the future, and and Tim had had a conversation with me. Um, and funnily enough, I, was, I, was, I picked up the bass guitar. The bass guitarist's guitar at the time was, had an off day, and I was just noodling around on it. And Tim goes, oh, you can play. And I'm like, oh. Kind of, I mean, not really. So anyway, there's a seed planted in the back of Tim's mind for later on, but yeah, a the, conversation. the light
2: bulb went off there. I guess that's when uh, all of a sudden yeah, the pieces ding. started coming together. Yeah.
1: And um, and so yeah, a little while later down the track, um, he asked he asked me the question: um, Would I be interested in, in you know giving this new chapter of the band a shot? And I, I'm um, just from a geography point of view, um, where I was living at the time I was in Brisbane, which is about 10 hours drive north of sydney and uh so i said well i guess i'm gonna have to move to sydney then and so i was um 20 at the time i had my 21st birthday in europe um with the guys and so yeah the um a few months later i was packing my bags and moving to sydney and uh well it's 2021 now and and um i'm still here <laughs> a lot's a lot's happened since then but uh, more or less that's sort of where i i came into the picture and um and yeah, I've just really enjoyed um, being a part of what what was already a legacy by that point, but then just extending on it over the past, you know, whatever it's been, like 15 odd years since then. So yeah, it's been a, a wild ride of uh, many chapters.
2: Yeah, and, and the band's success has seemed to have grown since then. I Obviously, the... the... I guess Dungeon really paved the way for for, you know, the early Lord material, obviously set in stone being one of those first albums. But I feel like you're really just hitting a stride now in terms of um international recognition and success, which is really a testament to the strength of a lot of the material that's been coming out over the last decade and a half.
1: It's so weird because we we for years, like we were road dogs, we were always out touring um, especially here in Australia, it's a big country, but there's lots of smaller towns and we're trying to play every place we could, every, every hole in the wall. And, um, and I think um, we started to slow down as a band. I mean, we're all getting older and the guys started to have kids and, you know, just the usual domestic responsibilities of getting older. And um, we just thought we were sort of, everything was going to slow down, but it's funny the way things work because as soon as we started to slow down, the opportunities started opening up and, and the albums started selling better as well. I mean, we don't, we don't tour or play as much as we have for, for many years. And obviously, you know, the obvious stuff over the past 18 months or so, I mean, we, we released a, a covers album, you know, a few months ago and it got into the Australian charts. Uh, for, and this is the second release in a row that we've had, you know, um, had chart success and we've never had it, you know, ever. So it's just so weird how things just work out the way that they do. But, um, hey, no complaints from me whatsoever.
2: And I'm sure we'll get into, um, you know, the future of the band in a little while, or maybe towards the end. Uh, but I guess as we, we we kind of set the stage for for set in stone, um, how did you get involved in the songwriting process on the album? And I ask because you have you, you have credits on a couple of tracks, but it seems like as time has gone on, you've gotten more and more involved in the songwriting process.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting time, um, and maybe just to give some context leading up to this album, so. Um, when I joined the band, the, um, from a dungeon point of view, there was a, a, a last album contract that needed to be fulfilled, um, so that became the final chapter. Um, funnily enough, a nice title to, to call the end of that era of the band, and uh, I played on a couple of songs from that album, but it was more, um, everything was Tim, um, it was all of his ideas, dungeon stuff, that he wanted to get out and fulfill this contract and get this last album out. Um and it was a good experience for me just to get used to how Tim works, how recording works, and things the like. Um, Tim had already started to think about what he wanted to do as far as that next album under the title of Lord and what that what that's going to look like. And that ended up being an album called Ascendance, um, which was still partly on some existing Australian label that we had, um, but it was the first album where we all started to contribute. You know our ideas, um, so that experience for me personally was a real. It was an eye opener and something I hadn't been used to before. Where it was a real sort of democratic, sort of open, sort of floor where we all just like basically got the the box of riffs and just tipped them onto the table and started like m- you know messing them around together. And and everyone was open. Um, there wasn't a lot of ego or control with it all, and it was just a real fun time. I think Tim was really refreshed by the process because. Um, it was just a new group of guys and and I think he was really excited to see what the potential was. So that experience um, with Descendants and then it coming out and it got re- received really well sort of set – I was going to say set set us in stone but um, <laughs> it, set, it set us up for, for a follow-up album but I think we started to hit our stride. I think we had our momentum going and we realised that – one of the things with Lord is that we wanted to try and mix in a whole range of different styles. Um, we wanted to sound like Lord, so when you heard a song, you go, "Oh, that's Lord." But we, de- we definitely wanted different elements. So Tim really encouraged everybody to to throw their weird eclectic tastes of music into the mix and see what we could come out come up with and there was no wrong answers it was just a case of ultimately once it's on the table so to speak what's going to be the best for the song and best for the band overall and so um so yeah um there's a there's a bunch of bunch of song ideas in there and stuff that um that i contribute to contributed to and and lots of uh, funny memories of just sitting there in front of like a you know, a computer with TY, our drummer at the time, sort of programming some horrible synth thing that ended up being like the synth in, you know, someone else's dream or whatever it might be. And, um, yeah, and it's sort of, I think it just continued to build confidence over the years where, you know, you felt more um, open-minded to to contribute more and more to the songwriting process as as the years sort of progressed from there.
0: We were, we were talking about um, our experience listening to the album where it has like this... That you know, it has like the traditional Lord flavor, but at the same time, you can pick out here and there, like like I heard some Labyrinth over here, and I heard a little bit of Justin heard a little bit Gamma Ray, or this one reminded me of Halloween. Um, so it just felt like to me, all you guys kind of took some of your favorite bands and and that inspired you to kind of throw that in there, but then kind of make it your own. Um, so that that was kind of how we perceived it. Um, but what made it cool was that it didn't feel like it was you guys were trying to like rip off other bands it was just like you were injecting like these little uh it's almost like a tribute to each band that you guys really liked um I think Justin mentioned uh Hammerfall in there like there was just like lots of cool uh like little like tributes but at the same time it was just so like so so, Lord, like and and like even the, some of the 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 heavier vocals kind of reminded me of Children of Bodom, where it, when it was a little bit heavier. So I mean, it was really just like all lots of cool stuff going on, and then wrapped up into this this nice little package. So that's kind of how how we saw it. Um, I could see why. Uh, the album was was requested because it's it's a really it's a really good album in it and there's just a lot of cool stuff going on and there's good you know the mid tempo songs are really strong the slower songs are really strong the the faster and heavier songs are great like um, I chose 100 reasons as my song of the week that was my favorite song um, I love the I just love I was saying I love anything that's keyboard driven especially in in power metal like. Um, I'm a huge fan of Power Quest. As I was saying, they're like one of my favorite bands ever, and and I love them because they're they're all, most of their songs are written by their keyboard player Steve. So like I love when bands are keyboard driven, and th- this song was like to me like such a keyboard driven song. And and Justin mentioned he felt like it, it almost like felt different from the rest of the tracks. Um, what what were your thoughts on on that track uh, specifically?
1: Oh. I mean that's that. If there was going to be a song on that album that stood out, it's like a sore thumb, it's that song for sure. Um, and it's it's funny after so many years, um, you know, listening to yourselves talk about it and other people when they reflect on the album, it's become a real favourite. Um, it's a standout album. Um, but it's funny how... Like the ideas behind the songs and how they're interpreted by people. I mean, even those bands that you just, you know, rattled off before, I mean, they're all huge influences. They're they're bands that we grew up with and we we idolise. We love those bands. And you can hear it you can hear it in Tim's vocals, the the melody lines and and, and the likes. But, you know, we we're also listening to really eclectic weird stuff as well. And um, you know, hopefully this doesn't ruin the song for you, Chris. But um, you know, the big inspiration behind that song was uh was uh was Fall Out boy
0: <laughs> well, the, get this, out of here that's that's not gonna bother me i like <laughs> i like everything honestly i like i like emo rock like i mean i was into fallout boy when they were big so like that that's cool with me I, I i like i don't need everything to sound the same so like to me like that's maybe that's what drew like what drew to me that it was almost had a kind of a poppy feel to it but um no that, that's not gonna change my feelings about it whatsoever <laughs>
1: Well, it's, it's always fun to tell, especially, you know, you know we all know them, the, the really serious metalheads, the do-or-die heavy metal fans. And uh, when you mention things like that, they, they they really cringe and go, oh, why'd you tell me that? But, I mean, for us, it's, it, you know, we at that time, we were obsessed, especially T.Y. and I, T.Y. the drummer at the time. And we were really obsessed with, uh, for it, by a couple of the albums there. And we were, just, we were floored by some of the genius in the lyrics and the vocal lines and the songwriting. And I thought, you know, for a band that's just seen as like just this like silly punk, you know, pop punk band, um, there's some real craftsmanship in those songs. And I think it sort of solidified a, a bit of a, you know, a philosophy that we've always had in the band that a good song's a good song, regardless of the genre or, or, or any of the perceptions around, you know, people or, or, um, style of music, um, and this was this was an example where we sort of were listening to, stu- to stuff, and I'll tell you what, um, just as I'm thinking about it, T.Y. and I actually went to see Fallout Boy in Sydney, and we're on the floor, and we we're about to watch them play, and we looked around, and I think I was wearing like this band, uh, it was a band called Defiled, which is like a Japanese death metal band. And I'm pretty sure TY was wearing a Nazul t shirt, which was, which is a black, like our most famous black metal band in Australia. And he actually drummed in for a while. Mm. We both got long hair. We're both standing out, and all around us is probably 14 year old girls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're just standing there going, uh, I don't think we're meant to be here. Like, but, <laughs> but I tell you what, we loved, we were singing the songs, and we just felt like the biggest idiots, but it was just so much fun. So um, going into the studio, um, and we, we just sort of, I think this sort of flowed onto Tim. I think Tim was listening to us carrying on about this sort of stuff and he was listening to and he became more open-minded with some of this stuff. And also, Tim's a massive 80s pop rock fan like and synth fan. He loves Duran Duran and Pseudo Echo and all, this, all those types of bands. So Kim Wilde and, and, and the likes. So it sort of blended the worlds together and, and I think that's where some of those vocal lines come in and the, and the style of the song. And I think for us we had in the back of our mind that we wanted to just make an attempt to do a little bit of a, a bit more of a rock song, a melodic rock song, and just see what happens and how it's received. And this was sort of the the background of, you know, what I said before, where, you know, having the name change and having a new chapter of the band sort of gave us a license to try a few new things and not be sort of always pigeonholed as just the power metal band. And And some ideas, like, go really well, and some ideas just just don't stick to the wall whatsoever. But you know, I, I think this song, funnily enough, is, um, has done a lot better than we thought it would. We thought it was going to be received a bit sort of icy from icy from the fans, um, but uh, people really loved it and respect and requested it at songs as at, at shows as well. So we were really, really pleasantly surprised with the reaction. So even after all these years, Chris, when you mentioned that song, out of all the songs on that album, um, that's that's uh, pretty cool. I, I'm actually quite amused by it and uh, and very, very happy that uh, people are, are still talking about it all these years later.
0: I, I just, yeah, I, I just feel like it stuck out to me. I mean, it just it, it, in a good way. Like, um, I don't know. That's just kind of how I felt. But I guess like nobody really should have been too surprised considering that there's a Kylie Minogue cover on this album. But uh, Justin, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that to, at least to my ears, when you have the same Uh, you
2: know, if you, if you make an album with 12 songs and it's all the same driven, as much as I like power metal, it gets old after a while, right? I I mean, we all love Keeper of the Seven Keys, but I don't want to hear that album 10 times in a row. So I think that it's critical to evolve and really bring in those other influences. And I think that that's part of the reason that Rob actually chose this album because you can see the maturity and the growth. And the different influences coming in from all over the place, as opposed to just kind of recreating the magic, if you will, from from yesteryear.
1: And especially like if you if you think about I mean, one thing we always uh, say in the band is like, you know, Tim's vocals are really distinct, but you can tell his influences straight away. It's like it's Bruce Dickinson. It's Jeff Tate. It's Michael Kisk. You know, it's those types of guys where you can hear these these trademarks coming through in, in particular songs. And when you listen to A Hundred Reasons, it's basically Michael Kisk doing his pop stuff. You know, you know, yes. If you listen to Place Vendome and, and some of those albums that he did, um it's it's just that. And it's 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 it may as well be Michael Kisk doing a bunch of pop pop rock. And uh, and so it sort of diffuses the the alarmist sort of reactions that you get from metalheads because and it just goes back to that that saying that we we always um, carry on about. It's like a good song's a good song, you know. And what better way to blend in um, the craftsmanship of of pop music and that catchiness and that, that you know those those great melodic hooks with um with the stuff that we love, you know, metal and melodic metal and power metal and 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 all the likes, you know, and and blend them together to make a, an optimal experience hopefully at least for us anyway i mean we love it you know it's scratching our itch but hopefully other people enjoy it as well
2: Definitely, definitely. And and I'm going to ask you, I mean, obviously, we could go into depth about all the tracks, but I think we'll just pick out some of them to, you know, that really stood out to us. Another one I wanted to talk to you about uh, was my track of the week, which was Someone Else's Dream, which is a track that you obviously have songwriting credits on. Um, What were the influences behind that track? Because I think it's clear when you listen to it that you were going for something a little heavier, if not much heavier, and just the I guess the influence behind some of the vocals, which are obviously not prevalent on all the tracks, but when they when they hit, they hit hard. And obviously um you know this and and and, and the end of days it's just there it provides a nice contrast I think to the rest of the album. Kind of like A hundred reasons is, is a is a bit of an outlier. I think those two tracks as well, but on the other side of the spectrum.
1: Mm, yeah. And this is something that we had to be really conscious of. And I think Tim to, to his credit did such a great job and has over the years with um, establishing a flow in the album. Cause if you put 100 reasons right next to the end of days um, it's just, it's so disjointed. It makes no sense whatsoever. And so you have to be really delicate with the way the songs transition into each other so that it's not some rude awakening that you're going to get throughout the album. You want it to sort of not, not expect what's going to come next, but not, but sort of um there's a natural flow that you're gonna start to feel and, and that's that's tough, um especially when we have so many different random ideas that we throw in there. We wanna do this, we wanna do that, you know. How how does it all sort of make sense as a cohesive album, you know? And um and that's something that we've we've um had to constantly be aware of um with a lot of releases after that as well. Um with someone else's dream, I think There'd been Tim had dabbled with some more sort of heavier sort of grittier more extreme vocals um, for, um, in the past he did a little bit with dungeon um, on the previous album ascendance we had a thrash track which called limb from limb um, which was very sort of uh, very heavy and sort of um, sort of sort of grittier sort of thrash metal vocals a little bit more creator ish um, and I think with this album you know we we listened to and I mean, we love thrash metal. Um, we all grew up in it. Tim Tim especially, you know, creator, destructional, the tectonic, you know, sort of German thrash metal and that kind of stuff. Um, and and we love melodic death metal. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, in Brisbane and it's primarily a death metal and a black metal scene. And they were sort of the, the local bands that I got into to begin with before I sort of, you know, opened up my world. And TY, our drummer, is like, you know, he's played in some of the biggest Australian extreme metal bands ever. Um, he's got his own extreme metal projects. It's just So it's so weird for all of us to come together and put put out this sort of melodic music. Um, so Someone Else's Dream was like a mixture between getting some of this stuff out of us, not out of our system, but sort of, you know, indulging in the stuff that we love in the more extreme sense, but also mixing in a lot of melody. So you've got this melodic keyboard you know, synth line, which then goes into these verses that are very sort of harsh, harsh vocals, um, sort of a little bit, sort of thrashy melodic death sort of sound, um, very sort of Swedish. You know, um, another another band that you know we all love is Soilwork. So some of the some of the Soilwork stuff you might hear, like little glimpses of that. Um, and then going into the chorus is sort of very uh, melodic, anthemic sort of sound um, from there. But um, yeah, we, I think for us, we've always you know it's that blending of these these. Um, these tastes of music these inspirations that we have and wanting to be able to play this stuff and sort of go you know I want to I don't want to just play power metal all day I want to play something a little bit heavier and a bit thrashier and and it's so always funny to hear people react to it or especially people who aren't familiar with the band because people would assume that we're a melodic metal band or, or a power metal band and then they hear songs like that and they're blown away and they can't believe that it's the same band so it's really cool. And and just as I'm thinking of it as well, another interesting point or what I think is probably a kind of cool story is that we had an idea at that stage because um, Tim was going to do the vocals, which he ended up doing uh, for the verses. But we thought because this album um, also has a number of guests and we really want to indulge the guests and we might talk about some of that stuff. But um, for sure, one of the guests we were thinking of because um, we thought we might get someone in to do the harsh vocals instead of Tim um, so we were actually, um, trying to, we didn't make much of an effort to be honest, all these years now, Look, looking back, we, it was a very half-assed attempt, but we tried to get Winston from Parkway Drive to do, uh, the harsh vocals in the, in the verses. And then we would do the melodic chorus. Interesting. And, um, to be honest, I think the extent of our efforts to reach out to Winston might have been a MySpace message. I don't know, but I know, but TY used to go surfing with him. Um, or, or had mutual friends because they all surfed down the south coast of New South Wales, and um, and I think Winston would come down with some of the other guys and surf down the south coast. So I think there was some there was some connection there that we we're trying to take advantage of. But um, but anyway, it was tumbleweeds back from those guys. So Tim Tim got in there and did the did the vocal um, himself. So yeah, it's um. But even just um mentioning before with the synth line, um, we were at Ty's parents' place in Wollongong which is about an hour south of Sydney and sitting in this room with this old desktop computer and he had a midi keyboard in front and he had a a crappy old acoustic guitar and he and we were like working out the the synth melody and he was like just stabbing the keyboard trying to work (laughs) it out and it sounded so like it was just barbaric it just sounds so bad but we flicked it through to Tim along with all the other melody ideas and Tim was able to sort of polish it up and make it more sort of flowing and, and a little bit more easy on, on the ear. You could hear the idea in there, which is the main thing. So um, it's just so good to, to him
2: to, to putting it back all together from, you know, you gave him a, a spark and he turned it into a masterpiece, which I think is very, very interesting. You know, as, as I, you know, reflect and, and that's what this really is for Chris and myself. It's a reflection on a lot of things. And sometimes we go deep into the past into things we loved you know, growing up as kids. And then there's other things that we either, you know, or have a little bit of familiarity with. And sometimes we listen to things that we've never heard before, which is a real, real exercise. But I've kind of shifted away a little bit from my, my love affair with power metal in the mid to late nineties. And I've kind of, Dived more into the creator and the destruction. So when I heard this track, my my mind, my it just it hit all the right notes for me as someone who still has a soft spot for power metal, but is moving into different things just to keep things fresh.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it for us, it's there's nothing worse than listening to the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, and that's what makes music so exciting and fresh all the time. I mean, you would think after all these years, and I mean, I think you guys are you know, probably been listening to metal more than, longer than I have, but, you know, you sort of, you sort of listen to this stuff and you go, what else is left? You know, everyone's covered every idea. Like I've heard it all. And then suddenly a new album comes out and you go, wow, like that is absolutely fantastic. And it's just an exciting thing to be open-minded to music in general and to see the fusion of of genres and ideas and the likes. And it's just super cool. And and I'm the same man like I you know this stuff that you know 20 years ago I was obsessed with and then I just I burnt out as a result of listening to the same thing for too for too long and then years right. and years later you come back and you go oh wow like I can I can feel a bit of that magic again and uh yeah it's it's really cool
2: yeah I mean and, and that's really the podcast in a nutshell so it's it's always it's always fun to either go back or or experience things Again, for the first time, in a sense, if you will, uh, another track I just wanted to talk about, and, I'm, and I'm, you kind of alluded it, you know, alluded to it earlier. Be my guest. What was the inspiration here? Because, and it's something that we had mentioned earlier, which was, you know, you often get somebody in on a guitar solo or even a guest vocal spot, but here it was just a confluence of so many different musicians from from all different walks of life, really. Why did you choose, or how did you choose the musician, the musicians that wound up on the track, and what made you think of kind of putting this together? Because it had to be a daunting task.
1: The song is just complete overkill. Hey, like it's just it's it's ridiculous. It's I don't know, <laughs> I don't even know how long it is. It's like what, it must be seven or eight minutes or something That's like right. that long. Um, it's an instrumental track, and I think initially, before the guests were even in an equation, I think we wanted to just have a silly instrumental track where we just have lots of different arrangements, um, lots of silly shredding, you know, noodling, um, you know, a bit of progressive stuff in there. Just just mix all those genres in. Basically, set in stone in in a seven, you know, a seven minute track or whatever it is, um, to an extent, you know, just fuse as much in as we can. Um, but we was, I think, at the time we were starting to see a lot of other bands, you know, getting those guest collaborations or those guest appearances. People, whether it be, you know, getting a famous producer on board to help, you know, help the album, or um, or whether it be a guest musician actually playing on a track. And we just thought, there's so many people that we are friends with, who we have played with, um, we've toured with that it would be cool just to reach out to as many people as possible and just see who's keen. And we didn't expect this many people to say yes, to be honest. I think we sort of expected maybe two or three people. And then, and expecting like, you know, out of the list of people that majority of them would probably say, no, I'm too busy or whatever it might be. But the majority of people came back and said, yeah, I'm keen. So we thought, oh, okay, now we've got to find places to put these people in the song. <laughs> and, um and yeah, like, I mean, we've got, uh, you know, have got Craig Goldie from Dio um who um we didn't play with but um we were at the Bang Your Head Festival in two thousand and five and we spent a bit of time getting to know him um backstage and and he was just such a cool guy and we just kept in contact and I think we may have just thrown a comment out there about, oh, we should do something sometime and he's like, Yeah, absolutely. So we thought, I'm not gonna hold you to that. And so (laughs) You don't know what you just signed up for, you know, like that. That's it. Years later, we're gonna come back and you're gonna play on a song and he did and and to his credit, he was uh, fantastic. But um, we had Pete Lesperance from Harem Scarem, Canadian AOR band. We we mm-hmm. went to his house um, in Toronto many years ago. Um, got to went and had dinner with him. That was a, I mean I'm a massive Harem Scarem fan, so that was just surreal. Uh, so he played solo on. Um, Actually, sorry, I'm I'm getting my my songs mixed up. He did a solo on New Horizons, I should say, but um, I'll just I'll just throw that little thing in there. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Drover, who was in Megadeth at the time, so we toured with Megadeth, so that that worked out well. Uh, Felipe from uh, Angra, um, so Angra had played some shows with Dungeon back in the day and stayed in contact. Really good friends of the band. Um, Olaf Olaf from uh, Dragonland, and um, I can never say the name of uh, their new band now. Um, Amaranth, Amaranth, yes, Amarant? yes, yeah, Amaranth, uh, yeah. So um. He's on there. Uh, Dragonland, big. Um, I think they played with uh, Dungeon in Japan many, many years ago. So stayed really close friends with those guys. Um, had um, Yoshu Yoshu Mariyama, Maru, I should say, if I can get it out, uh, who plays in a band called Argument Soul from uh, from Japan. We had Chris Pachenko, Vanishing Point, great friend of the band, um, great friend of ours. Um, I can't remember. I'm few other people i'm just trying to think off the top of my head but um yeah a mix of of, um sort of really well-known established musicians um globally but also some some friends in australia who we've we've had um long relationships with who are just really talented people um ex-members of the band as well that jumped on board and um it was just uh it was just a weird experience as to when so many people said yes and just trying to you know pushed them into this seven minute or whatever it is song and uh, it came out and like listening to it it's just it's chaos it's absolute chaos it's all over the place
2: it was somehow somehow you threw it all against the wall and somehow it worked and i was just i I was i mentioned to chris earlier the first time that i listened to the album straight through it you know in all 63 minutes believe it or not this was the track that first jumped out to me because i couldn't believe that all this stuff thrown against the wall worked but it's Kudos, kudos to, to the band for, for, for making it work, because I think it was, it had to be quite the undertaking.
1: Yeah, and I think I think also, and Tim may correct me if he, if he, <coughs> ever, if he ever listens to this, but my understanding is that Be My Guest was sort of like, almost like the climax of the album, where it just like, it gets to the climax of just ridiculous, like just everything extreme, everything sort of being, you know, all senses being assaulted before sort of the fade out of the album which ends up being you know the ballad at the end new horizons and uh, and that was the way to sort of cap off that whole listening experience from front to end if you were listening to the whole album
0: sure. yeah and uh it worked i mean um it's it's just a fun song like i mean i it it is a little chaotic i i mentioned that um there were parts of it that when there were t- like two guitarists going at one time it reminded me a lot of um like 90s era Halloween when Roland and, and Wykey were were playing guitar at the same time. I kind of got some of that, that tone there. Um, But it's just fun. Like uh, it's, uh, uh, it's just a cool track. I wanted to ask you about the, um, the cover track that I guess was on some of the editions the, the Kylie Minogue cover Uh, on a night like this, you guys made a very entertaining music video to go (laughs) along with it. Um, uh, Lord, Lord is Become kind of known as a as a great cover band as well as a great original band. Um, this was kind of a bit earlier on, um, and like you mentioned earlier, your last release was just this whole um, plethora of, of fantastic covers. I, I love. I just would remiss, be remiss if I didn't mention um, that you guys chose someone's crying as a, as a Halloween uh, cover. Uh, from Pink Bubbles Go Ape, it's such a like an underrated, underappreciated song, and I think um, you guys had mentioned it on your social media earlier today. I believe um, you were asking uh, like name your five favorite Halloween songs, and I looked at that and I was like, oh my god, that would take me about a week to come up with that. But um, <laughs> uh, what what was the um, what was the the kind of thought process uh, within the band regarding um, doing covers and and just making it your own and and especially with this one with the music video just having just having fun with it and clearly not taking yourselves too seriously
1: yeah covers are, I think a really important part of the band um it's it's to scratch that itch of wanting to play songs that we really love and one thing that you'll notice with when you do listen to a lot of the covers that we've released over the years is that they don't stray too much from the the original Uh, it's more or less us just playing like just indulging ourselves really it's you know in some cases if it's a pop song there's some heavier guitars maybe the tempo's sped up a bit there's some heavier heavier sections or maybe some you know uh, Tim might indulge with some orchestration in the background with particular songs and um, it's really for us first and foremost a way to enjoy the songs that we've either grown up with or have become obsessed with so it's partially is a very selfish sort of endeavour that we do take with cover songs. Um, The other thing that we have done is that, I mean, you know, it'd be very obvious to say that they go down well live, you know, throwing a cover in, Um, you know, going back to our Prog Power set, you know, we we threw Creeping Death in at the end, um, and I didn't actually expect that Metallica would go down so well at Prog Power of all places, but it went down pretty well. So, um, you know, it, they're always great to throw in, that's in sets, um, especially for people that aren't familiar with the band. It's a great way to sort of bring people over and, and expose them to what we're all about and hopefully be a gateway to, to learn about our music. And the last, um, reason why we do covers, um, it's a little bit more technical is that, um, uh, it's to test studio equipment. Um, so before we go in for an album, we, um, we, we pick a cover song and just, you know, record it. And that's the, our way of establishing guitar tones, um, you know, drum samples, you know, the room, um, just making sure that all of our sounds are right before we go and invest that time and money to to record a full-length album. So with, with uh, On A Night Like This, um, I think it originally was on an EP uh, a year beforehand, about... Oh, yeah, almost almost 12 months beforehand, called Here No Evil. And on that was an early recording of Set in Stone as well, the title track. And it was like a beta mix sort of thing. It was just to sort of test it out and see what it sounds like. And um, and that particular cover song um, came from we, – we supported Nightwish, actually, uh, in Sydney. We, we did a show with Nightwish. And um, on the way home from that show, Tim was in – in the car with a couple of friends and that song came on the radio on a night like this and he was thinking in the back of his mind like going this would be probably a pretty cool song to cover and he was thinking about it a little bit more in his head and then he brought it up with us a few days later expecting for us to shoot it down to say no way we are covering this and we all turned around and said hell yeah like let's do it <laughs> he's like oh oh shit okay all right it looks like we're doing it and so it was a bit of a it was part of those early sessions to sort of establish the sound that would eventually be set in stone um, but it was just a bit of a, a bit of a you know tongue and cheek a bit of fun and the video clip ended up coming up coming out a little bit later on down the track and that obviously had a great reception um, and for me like i thought that the song would be very much a throwaway song uh, a song that would be ch- I was worried that it would cheapen us a little bit. You know how some bands become known just for their cover songs and, they, and their original stuff just gets ignored. I was worried as this song became popular that um, it might cheapen us a little bit, but all these years later, and that, you know, that song was originally recorded in 2008. There are so many people these days who go, I discovered your band because of that Kylie O' cover. And that's the validation straight away. I'm like, Bam, like covers work, and it's fantastic. And even this year when we put out the covers album, which is like a compilation of everything, um, we're finding people discovering the band for the first time now and going, oh, wow, I'm, I'm listening to your original stuff. This is incredible. So um, it's 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 worked out really well for us, and it's all come from a place of just having a lot of fun and not taking it too seriously.
2: I guess I'll piggyback off that. I know that you released, recently released the Stratego cover um, on the heels of the Iron Maiden release very good timing number one number two I cannot tell you how many people have said that they like your version better than the maiden version which <laughs> rarefied air there and I'll just leave that out there this is um, but it, but it is a fantastic cover um, did you do that obviously to coincide with the release because I think that it was um, just a phenomenal job and I hope that it gets more eyeballs on the band
1: we were we were very strategic with strategic uh, <laughs> sorry when the When the first single came out, we heard it. Um, We just had a – look, without – I'm a massive Maiden fan, and the band is. I mean, you can hear it in our sound, and we're heavily influenced by Maiden. Um, But I think – I don't think it'd be too blasphemous to say that the last several years of Maiden have been somewhat underwhelming and disappointing. Um, I think there's glimpses of just genius in their songwriting – but I just don't think they're spending the time that they should be on these on these albums. Um, and I think the production lets them down as well. And I think just, look, they can do whatever they want. They're the gods, you know, and they've, they've earned their stripes, you know, so, you know, I can criticise them, but, you know, in the end, I mean, it's Iron Maiden. But um, when we heard the first single, we just sort of thought, as a joke, we go, oh, maybe we should just record that and at least make it sound a bit better. And then we just – it was just a joke, and we just put it away. And then when Strategia came out, we listened to it and and just said, like, there's a really good song in there. Like, there's a really good song in there, but the production. It's a good
2: tune, but when you have all the money in the world and you can basically spend as much time as you want in the studio, I don't understand how it can sound so flat. And again, I, I, the song itself is great. But when I heard your version, I said to myself, this is what it should sound like. Because obviously, they have the chops to play it. Obviously, they can spend the time and the, the energy and the money on the production. But it was missing that that crunch, I guess, in, in many ways. And it just didn't have – your version wasn't as flat sounding as, as theirs. And it was just yeah. kind of refreshing to hear what's a good song – Done what I would call the "quote unquote" right way.
1: Yeah, and we we had to move really quickly as well because we had we had a short space of time between Stratego being released and then the release date of the album. And sure. we thought we could release it after the release date, but we kind of thought it would pack a little bit more of a punch in that week leading up to you know that Friday when it was released. And um, it went really well. I mean, we didn't as as you as you've heard, like we haven't strayed from the original. Um, Some of the things that you could criticise about the original is that a the production, but I think also some of the the timing of the song it's a little bit sloppy, um where whether that's sort of you know post production stuff that could have been tightened up and cleaned up or whatever it might be, um so for us it was just a case of just trying to make it as tight as possible, get that production sounding nice and crisp, and um and you can hear um in some of the uh, might be in the bridge, where you can hear Tim and you. Like, at least from my ears, it's total Michael Kisk. You can hear, like, just before it hits that chorus, and it's like a mixture of Kisk and Tate together. And it's like, oh man, because the other stuff, he's very close to, to Bruce throughout yep. the song. But just just before it hits that chorus, there's a couple of lines that he does, and you can hear, like, this Halloween Qu- Queensrite influence just, just delicately you know, fall into place there. And it's like, oh, that's lovely. That's really good. And yeah, a great reaction. I was kind of hoping we get a little bit more hate to be honest like just the troll in me um, because you know like a bit of hate brings a bit more attention but um, but yeah we've had just a really good reaction from from the maiden purists and uh, and and our fan base and we only released it on YouTube and Facebook, so we didn't do Spotify. We didn't put it on Bandcamp, and um, I think it'll just be one that'll sit in the vault for a little while, and we'll do something with it later on. Maybe, maybe a volume two of cover, <laughs> cover songs. We'll see what happens.
2: It's a, it's definitely, uh, definitely a good start. So, um, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, just going back to Set in Stone for a second. Do you have a favorite track, or you know, kind of as we, you know, take this trip down memory lane, going back now over a decade do you have a favorite track and and, and, and any particular tracks that you kind of wish you'd play live that maybe you have to dust off after all this time
1: uh, I think the fate well I'll give you three favorites so <laughs> I'm just breaking all the rules the first so the first <laughs> favorite is is to play live um, so the, my favorite song to play live is redemption pure power metal pure european power metal that song and it's a great way to kick off the album especially when you've got people that are worried what we're going to sound like it's like that reassuring introduction to the album it's like hey we've got you like stick around yeah and then we're gonna then we're gonna throw you through the gauntlet of mixed genres and all sorts of stuff (laughs) afterward. but um you know i've loved playing that song live and um and I've got lots of fun me- memories, especially playing that song in, in Japan of all places, just the power metal aspect of it, being in Japan and, and like opening the set with a song like that is just really, really cool. Um, Favourite song, um, and it's very selfish of me to say, but I think Forever, um, the bass line in that was was a bass line that I wrote when I was 16 years old, um, and it was just something that was a throwaway, it was on a mixtape and just you know a really shoddy sort of idea that I'd recorded um, and Tim tim sort of liked it and and crafted the song off the back of that which was really cool and
2: i'm going to cut you off for one second
1: and i'm going to say that i actually said
2: in our in our discussion earlier the i i don't think that the bass stands out as much in terms of the production on the album as a whole but that on forever the your bass lines were just like really stood out on that particular track and and you, we've already recorded our piece, so you, I got. May, may someone strike me if I'm lying, but the truth is, I thought it stood out on that track. So I'm very happy that you mentioned it because I heard the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the bass, the bass, um, has always been sort of relatively low in the mix for a lot of a lot of our earlier releases. I think in the more recent yeah. stuff, it pops a little bit more. Agreed. But um, Agreed. but a song, a song like um, forever. Yeah, it's um, there's a few there's a few runs in that song which sort of pop out and, and have, have a great sort of focal uh, presence in that in that song. And it's very cinematic. And Chris, you mentioned What Tomorrow Brings. I think this is sort of like, it's got no connection to that song, but it's almost like the prelude of that cinematic sort of progressive song where it's got lots of twists and turns. And the video clip that we did for it is sort of very cinematic as well. It's got it's a bit of drama attached to it. So uh, a personal favourite of mine. And I think the song that I don't know if I'd like to play it live, but part of me does. It depends on the time of day. But there's a song called Beyond the Light. And listening back to it, the verses are really hard to listen to. I think the verses are just a bit too cheesy and they're and it's just a bit dorky. It's a dorky sort of song <laughs> when you listen to the verses. But that chorus, man, like I I can't get enough of it. I think the chorus is just really good when it kicks in and there's some there's some toms that sort of Sort of chug into the chorus, and then it's just like this very heavy start when it sort of jumps into that section. almost like i wish i could just play the chorus over and over again live but not the rest of the (laughs) song (laughs) or at least the verses i think we could have spent a bit more time on that song but i think that song just to to not completely shit on it it's that was one of the last songs that was written on the album and it was a song where tim had the music and this weird melody line, and he couldn't do anything with it. It was just really hard. And he threw it to us and just said, what do you guys want to do with it? And um, and then I think it was Mark and I, we threw some lyrics together, and we had a friend of ours who um, whose brother had passed away. And so we, that was front of mind for us. So we used that as a bit of inspiration to, um, to put some lyrics behind it. And um, I think it's okay. It's an okay song, um, but I just love that chorus. And so, if if, if there's of a way the set I can, in
2: stone medley, if you ever do a medley of the album, now you've got the chorus to throw into that.
1: That's it. And just forget about those verses. Just that chorus kick in as soon as the chorus is done. I'll go into another song. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, before before we, uh, I want to finish up um, and talk about prog power. Um, but before that, I just want to kind of put a bow on. on On set in stone and and ask you what what this album on a whole means to you and what it means to the band and and also how did you feel it was uh received by the the metal community at large when it was released
1: i think this is one of these albums which will end up being the special album in our career um i think at the time when we were releasing it we're a little bit i wouldn't say yeah, maybe we we're slightly apprehensive about it. It was we we're definitely taking some risks with it. Um, we were definitely stepping outside the mold. Ascendance was like the the taste test, um, and I think some of the more heavy metal purists would probably lean more on Ascendance if they're going to pick out these two albums in particular. Um, but Set in Stone really had some new elements in there that were going to push people's you know uh, people's attention and and whether they would lo- their tastes. Uh, so we were we were a little bit worried, but um, one thing that we did um really well is that we went out and toured really hard on this album we did a massive tour before the release of the album where we were playing a few few songs here and there and then we went out again and hit a lot of the same places and new places again i went to japan um, and really made an effort to establish this album as um what what would you what would you call it um it's like an anchor for people 's memories, um, so one thing i 'm sure you guys are the same when you think like when you think about nostalgic albums albums that take you back to times, a lot of these defining moments are like these defining albums are defining moments in your life as well so that whether it be finishing school, becoming you know an adult, you know going out to the bar for the first time, interacting with people it could be it could be, you know, love interests. It could be friends. It could be travelling overseas, whatever it might be. And so you try to, like, you have the soundtracks and they become really special to you. And that's why music becomes so nostalgic. And I think as the years go on, the value of these these, these songs and these albums increase and they become even better because it brings you back to these great memories. So for us at, on that album, we're already having people go, I prefer Ascendance but, um, over Set in Stone. And we thought it's funny how people always say the album beforehand or the, or three or four albums beforehand are always better than the one you release now. And so for us, it was like, how do we create as many memories as we can with this album? And so we just hit the, hit the road and we had so much fun and we did lots of silly things. We had blow up dolls during the shows. We used to throw lollies into the crowd. You know, we would always go out and just have parties with people. And, and that tour, which lasted probably a good year or year and a half or so, um, was just, just, a lot of really fun memories and we try to include as many people as possible and I think that sort of helped I think the album still would stand the test of time but I think for us a lot of people speak really fondly of that album not just because of the songs themselves but just everything that happened around that time and I think metal in Australia as well a lot of bands were starting to really do good things overseas Um, bands were starting to sort of uh, find this new this new lease of life, you know, um, that next era of bands. I mean, you know, you guys have mentioned before. I mean, you know, Voyager. I mean, Voyager had been around, you know, for as long as as long as us from a Lord perspective, and you know, they were really hitting their stride around that time, and then it just continued to accelerate for them. And so, there's a lot of bands like that that were getting European, North American, um, you know, success, and as well as Asia as well. And so, I think it was just a real magical time. As cheesy as that sounds, uh, for huh. for a lot of a lot of bands, and so I think this kind of is an album that reminds people of these these great times. And uh, yeah, it's um it's wild that you know as that young guy who was just carrying beers around for Dungeon in Europe and just like going oh this is this is cool, you know that one day I'd be sitting back like another decade after a defining album to be talking about it and sort of reminiscing. It's 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 wild. It's absolutely wild.
2: Yeah, it's funny because I remember listening to a bunch of bands in the late nineties and early two thousands from Australia, bands like Black Majesty. Yep. And when I was real young, I remember hearing Pegasus for the first time and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, bands like I fear they just never got to that next level. And then around 2009, Voyager was taking off. And then as we get obviously later into the decade, you know, a lot of bands from, from, from your area are just exploding and i think of caligula's horse which is obviously a bit different but they are just uh you know they're they're getting world recognition which is well deserved but to your point just when this album was released was a real almost launching point for a lot of the bands i i guess in in australia that were getting world recognition for the first time
1: yeah and i think i think you know it definitely coincided with a lot of a lot of technology opening up and the connectedness that we have globally. I mean, you know, it's just wild that we're having a conversation right now where, where we all sit in the world, but it's become the norm. And I think around that time in those early two thousands was when we were starting to really find our feet and work out what are the tools? How do we how do we get heard? How do we connect with people and not just worry about a fan base in Australia? How do we how do we look abroad and find people and, and I think a lot of bands, especially I think my generation of sort of Music fans and musicians that sort of between probably, oh, probably between the age of 30 and 40. Um, so a lot of those guys um, have really become part of this era of bands that have done really well um, inter- internationally and have become recognised and due to, I think, really sort of taking advantage of, of the changes in technology and using it as a platform to showcase their their creativity their talent you know and it's it's been really exciting and like Caligula's horse I can never say it properly but I mean I grew up with with Jim like in Brisbane they're Brisbane guys you know and I used to see them in their first band Arcane play at like bowling alleys with hardly anyone there and you know Jim and and a few of the guys you know when I moved to to Sydney I had a going away party at my parents place in the backyard and Jim the Arcane guys rocked up and a few other bands and They all set up like a little, you know, drum set and and, and guitars and everything. And they just played like Iron Maiden covers all all afternoon while we were drinking beers. So I've got photos of like Jim with like dreadlocks singing like the Trooper or something like that, you know, just the weirdest things. But like these are all guys that we grew up with and and everyone's gone off to do their own thing. And it's just it blows my mind that that so many of us have, have had some real real fulfilling success over the years and continue to do so. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's super cool.
2: I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Uh, and I'm glad that everyone is seeing the success that, uh, all the, all the years and years of hard work and, and dedication are, 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 are paying off for everyone. So I'm glad to hear that before we let you go. Uh, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about what you're working on, what the, and, and I guess what the future holds for the band, obviously on, on the heels of, of the most recent release with covers, uh, you know what? What does the future hold for for both you and the band?
1: Yeah, um, from the band point of view, I think at the moment the the focus is to not do any more covers for a while. <laughs> I think we've we've uh, we've hit our quota for covers for a little while. So um, we we are actually working on new music at the moment. So we're sort of in that early stage of sort of spitballing ideas, like using that thing before dumping the ideas on a table and sifting things around and creating stuff. So we're. We're sort of at that stage, we, that stage. We've got a few ideas about what we want to do. We want to do something a little bit different from a release point of view, um, but uh, still very much early early days when it comes to that. But um, hopefully something next year, um, and we'll have that out. I think like a lot of bands, um, we've just been sort of sitting back and just taking stock with what's been going on in the world um, and where we fit into that, that equation. Um, I think a lot of bands out there, uh, from a priority point of view, probably need to get out there quicker than we do. Um, from a sustainability point of view and their livelihoods, I think for us we've we 've been really smart over the smart in the sense that we 've been able to have a balance of domestic life and also be able to continue to write and record music where we have not been full time sort of musicians for many many years, um, and that works for us. It doesn't work for every musician, but for the guys who are who are 24, 24 hours seven days a week musicians, um, those guys need to get out there asap. And so for us, um, we're not in a massive rush to get back out. We definitely want to, um, but for us, we want to see the world reopen. We want to see our friends get back out there and start to earn some money again and start to reestablish themselves and get that momentum going. And then we'll 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 find a way to to sort of, you know, nudge our way in there and and uh, and get a little bit of a look in as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting with the band because um, I think with the last couple of releases, Fallen Idols, the last studio album, and then Undercovers, the covers release, both getting um, chart success for the first time ever, um, we're sort of in a really, really good position at the moment to sort of use that as momentum for whatever we release next. So um, we're going to be very sort of crafty with, with what we do with that newfound power that we've accumulated, so how can we capitalize on that? Um, and then from me, um, I'm just about to relaunch back into my podcast. So I've been doing podcasting since 2015. Um, you know, uh, the Anti Social Podcast has been a lot of fun. Lots of different people I talk to. So I always love doing podcasts. Love chatting to people like yourselves. And so I'm about to kick back into that, and uh, and that'll be my um, what is now close to being summer down here in the Southern Hemisphere. So I'll be using summer to sort of get back out and chat to people and have, have a bit of fun. And, and we're about to reopen again with all this COVID stuff. So, um, so I'm looking forward to a, a very happy and fun summer uh, ahead, but uh, never a dull moment here. There's always
0: something on the go. Very nice. That's great to hear. Um, So like I mentioned before, before we go, um, being that we are from the States and are, <clears throat> have attended many, Prague powers i think between justin and myself we've seen almost all of them um and unfortunately justin wasn't able to attend the year that lord came and played uh but you had been you had attended the festival prior to lord's performance and i believe that's when i first got to meet you um just kind of talk about your uh experience um i guess just starting out as as attending as a fan and and then uh, how you how your band kind of got invited and got on the lineup and uh i i have a few uh fun memories from that that um that year's Prague power that that i i can share as well but um i will say that um being that when the wednesday is seldomly the well the wednesday show is seldomly sold out and and that year, I think, because of the strength of Dragon Force and Blind Guardian headlining the first two nights, um, I never saw an opening band at Prog Power get a reception the way that Lord did uh, that day. It was that the house was was packed. I, there there wasn't an empty seat or an empty space on the floor. I think people were so excited to be back at Prague power and then to have such a, a great performance from such an energetic and fun band with a, with a packed house. It was just like the, the perfect, uh, perfect storm. Uh, and it ended up being such a memorable performance in my opinion. I was really, I, I remember just turning around and looking and being like, I've never seen the first band on Wednesday at Prague power. get such a, a reception like this. It was really, really memorable. So, um, yeah, just go ahead with your, your thoughts and memories as well.
1: Well, I think, I think from a billing point of view, I mean, I'll never, I'll, I'll be forever in, I'll be forever in debt to Milton anyway, <laughs> but I think I'll be forever in debt to Milton and Nathan for the way that they set, set up those first two days. Um, you're right. I think the strength of Dragon Force and Blind Guardian was just a, an absolute blessing for this band. Like we would, we just right time, right place. And I think also I agree that sort of. You know, it's a celebration. It's like Prog Power's kicking off. We're, let's let's get started. Let's let's have a party. Let's have fun. And I think there was that excitement in the air. I think um, for us, you know, sort of looking back, we were so fortunate to to be where we were with that lineup at that time um, to walk out. And I was. Honestly, I had no idea to, what to expect. Um, I was really lucky I was there the year before. Um, so I had friends that I'd now connected with. And so walking out, I could see people up the front and I could recognise people and that was really cool. But, um, you know, I was being realistic. I thought, you yeah, know, it's the opening band. It's it's in the afternoon. It's the first day. And people traditionally are sort of emphasising, you know, the the last two days, which were the original two days of Prog Power. So, yeah. Right. Um, so walking out and just seeing like, you know, a packed room, it was just like, oh wow, like, oh, we better, we better play all right now. we like, the pressure's on. You know, we can't just half-ass this. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was a great, great show. And I mean, one of the, the great things about Prog Power is that, you know, unlike other festivals around the world, it's not like a 15-minute opening spot where you're playing while people still file in because, you know, they're too slow opening the gates or whatever it might be. Prog Power, everyone gets to showcase you know, and we got an hour set and, you know, it's unheard of anywhere else in the world. And it's just absolutely fantastic that you can have more or less a headline set at the beginning of the show. And it's just, you know, it was silly. It would would have been silly for us to not record it and film it, which we end up doing. But Prog Power is such a, I mean, what a weird concept, hey? Like, you know, talk about putting together a multi-day festival in North America that's sort of emphasized it's sort of its focal point is a genre of music that is not that popular especially in North America and to be then running it for you know over two decades to, to the size that it's become is just absolutely incredible and I definitely knew the reputation. Um, Glenn had been um, part sort of connected with us from the dungeon years uh, many many years ago. Um, so we we knew glenn and i think we'd talked about sort of playing many many years earlier and sort of was it was sort of out there but um not really sort of actively spoken about or pursued and then milton uh i think i can't remember how it happened either either we reached out or milton reached out and we, we were chatting we started connecting and milton was a big dungeon fan and so then we started to really sort of talk about the mechanics behind it but um I think there was a lot of ifs and buts about it. Um, there's a lot of, like, unsure, like, um, you know, we'd love to have you guys, just don't know how it's going to work. And, you know, you guys are coming from the other end of the world and don't have, you know, don't have the presence that a lot of other bands have had that have been on Prog Power. So I sort of, I vaguely remember saying something to Milton, like, I'm going to come over and just be, like, a fan and and just experience it. And I just love, I said, there's no pressure. I'm not coming over to sell to sell us to you. But I think it would be beneficial for me to at least show some respect because if I'm going to harass you to be on prog power, I should be there in person to at least say hello, you know, instead of just emails or messages back and forth. And, and so we did that. And so 2015, I went over there for my first prog power and I was just blown away. I was blown away with, um, with how it was run. Um, the guys meeting, you know, obviously meeting Glenn, Milton, Nathan, um, all the the larger prog power community who sort of help you know the volunteers, all the crew, um, and then the family. You know, uh, I was just I was I love the 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 novelty of the family aspect where everyone congregates every year from every corner of the country and internationally as well in some cases to reconnect and reminisce and and it's just like this big reunion and it's just insane and I loved it and I loved interacting with people and drinking probably far too many beers. And and then I sort of left with – and I think Milton sort of hinted to me just saying, look, let's do it. Let's do it for next year. Let's make it happen. So I went home with a bit of, a bit of confidence that it was going to happen, and I think a few months after that um, we were announced. And so it was, it was great, and it sort of it was a nice little sort of way to, to tie off that bow of that Prog Power experience by being there as, as the fan and experiencing it and connecting with so many people and building so many friendships and then going back as the performer And being on stage and seeing these people, I'm like, Hey, I just saw you 12 months ago and here I am on stage now. How cool is this? And, and actually one other point that we're really lucky, uh, fortunate of is that was the first year that, uh, Milton and Nathan moved it downstairs as well into the main room. Um, I think the 2015 was the last year that it was up in the loft. Um, and I think Evergrey played that and void, I think, no, Voyager were downstairs in the main room. Um, can't remember who else was up there anyway. Um, and so, I mean, it would have still been great to be up in the loft. I mean, we would still have been absolutely. But
2: such a different feel, right? I mean, it's it's oh. up upstairs is good, and you can pack a couple of hundred people in there. But it's nothing like that, you know, in the round uh, stadium seating and that big stage to to kind We're of so run lucky. around on. Yeah, so as lucky. fans,
0: as fans, we don't miss the the loft, especially for a band like Lord. I don't know, like if you're going to like for like special acoustic sets that they've had, it's perfect for that. But for a band that really needs to have the space for the energy that they're putting forth, it, it would have been it wouldn't have been fair like to for Lord's U.S. debut to take place in the lot. So it worked out really well. And in my opinion, I, I think that that year might have been over the course of four days, the most well attended Prague power festival there ever was as at least as, as long as they've been doing it for four days and um it, it was the lineup just for all four days was so strong and the fact that before we even hit Friday, which is like Glenn's first main day, we had already seen Lord and Stream of Passion and Dragon Force and Blind Guardian and Circus Maximus and (laughs) Pyramaze. And and it's like, we haven't even, we still haven't seen Vanishing Point and Freedom Call and Fate's Morning and Scar Cemetery and Devin Townsend. It was, it was a hell of a, a hell of a four days. I mean, there were bands that I unfortunately just had to skip just because I needed a break here and there. Um, I, I missed all of Spock's beard set because after Lord and Stream of Passion were, were done, I was like, oh my God, I need to go like take a break, get a drink, have something to eat. But um, I loved that you came the year before Lord performed because I could just remember seeing you everywhere, holding court and just being super friendly with everybody. And, and I thought that was such a great way to ingratiate yourself with this, this you know, family that all you have to really do is just be nice to everybody and you're in. I mean, that's, that's pretty much our, our only, uh, you know, prerequisite. Um, and so, um, I, I, and just on a personal level, you came, like sought me out. I think the year Lord played, um, cause we had been hanging out with the vanishing point guys the whole time. They loved us because we were there on Tuesday and we got them drunk the first night. (laughs) And, uh, so like we were their best friends for the rest of the trip, but you came up to me, um, after blind guardian finished out in the courtyard at, um, at the Artmore, and I was bombed and you, and I, but I remember this very clearly. And I remember apologizing to you. I was like, I am so sorry that you chose to come up to me while I'm in this sort of condition. And I saw you the next day in the, in the venue and I, I took a picture with you and I was like, Oh my God. If I said anything offensive, I apologize. But, um, it, I mean, I always considered you to be such a nice guy. And, and when I, I heard, I had friends tell me that when they saw within Temptation in New York City, they're like, we ran into Andy from Laura and he was specifically asking for you. And I was in Florida visiting my parents and I'm like, That was like I was starstruck from hearing that. I was like, "That's that's so cool." So that was just my little personal anecdote. Um, That, like I said before, that crowd and and I, you know, I should mention like the second you guys hit that riff for "Creeping Death," that place went apeshit. I mean, it was it was wild. I, I that was really awesome and just such a great way to kick things off. And in all honesty the only thing that's probably going to compete with that is whoever plays the first set at the next prog power being that there hasn't been one in a few years, that might be the only way that that could be the Lord performance could be topped is just people starved for a prog power performance after two and a half years. So um, we'll see. I just
1: remember, I remember one of the things that we said to each other before we went out and played that show, played that set was that, yeah, you know, we were thinking the worst. We were thinking it's going to be very sort of low energy. There's not going to be a lot of people in the room. That kind of stuff, like what you would normally expect at the beginning of a show. Um, and we just said, let's regardless, let's just kick it up a notch. Let's go high high energy because ultimately, you know, we're the kickoff party. Like we're we're getting the party started. We've got to set the tone and set the energy for what the next four days is going to be. And we want people to sort of walk out of our set primed and pumped and just so excited to be there and whether they like our music or not at least be sort of amused by our prancing around and on stage and just doing (laughs) dumb stuff and whatever it might be so and I think I think we did a good job of that and I mean obviously we're pleasantly surprised with the energy of the room anyway I mean I think everyone was ready to have fun and that that sort of made our job so much easier but um it's so funny Chris like you mentioned like you know being too bombed and like you know all that kind of stuff man apart from us playing that show, the rest of that time at Prog Power was a complete blur. I love my beer man and I, I mean I remember talking to you, but I mean what we talked about, who knows? And so yeah. and even even within temptation, it was probably me just like slurring going, Where's Chris? Where's Chris? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with, with that's like a direct right right. quote. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a direct right quote. Um,
2: inflection. And everything. No, I'm just kidding. It was uh, that 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 show in New York City was gone. My, gr- fun, my but... girlfriend
0: doesn't even ask for me like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, uh, Andy, we can't thank you enough for joining us. We've uh, taken up a lot of your time, and we we certainly appreciate you joining us from the other side of the world. Stay safe, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the road again soon.
1: Oh, guys, thanks for having me. Great to reconnect, and um, yeah, I can't wait to get back over there, even if it's just as a as a beer drinking idiot. Um, I'm. I'm, I'm I'm on my way somehow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cheers, take it up. We, we can
0: always use uh, another one of those. So
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys.